podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Nesson Dorma. Your sort of regular chat about 80s and 90s football. I am Lee Calvert and joining me, fresh from pouring over the goals to games ratio of Andrea Salenzi, are the usual suspects, Mr. Mike Gibbons. Hello, Mike. Hi, wait. And Rob Smythe. Hello, Rob. Hello. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, we're available at Nessundorma Pod. And there's a, a website and stuff like that. And search Google, you'll find out where you can listen to us or tell your friends, actually, where you can listen to us because we're keen to spread the message. In this particular episode, we're going to go back in time nearly 30 years to a time where it will allow me to wallow in the gorgeous warm waters of a time when my football club didn't cause me abject misery as we take a look at the glorious days of Oldham Athletic between 1989 and 1994. A tale of overachievement, cup runs, promotion, playing with one centre-back at times and a rollercoaster ride that ultimately ended in relegation. So, so many relegations, but we'll cover that later on. Before that... Uh, we've actually had a question from an actual listener, uh, from Guy Lewis. Thank you for listening, Guy. Thanks for your question. He says, all right, lads, I love the pod. Two questions. Why didn't Robson, Hoddle, Barnes and Waddle become the greatest international midfield of the 80s? And were their individual international careers ultimately a disappointment when you consider their talent? Right, we'll take the second part first. Mike, was Brian Robson's international career a disappointment? No, absolutely not. Uh, he got 90 caps, Robson, and scored 26 goals. Uh, so, you know, he's a, a proper goal-scoring midfielder. He was, you know, he captained the team right through the 80s. He's synonymous, I think, because, you know, a lot of people were only checking on football, you know, World Cups and things mm. like that, you, you know, with being injured. And, you know, he went home in 86 and he went home in 1990. So, yeah, he does have this reputation as, you know, he was always injured, basically. But And, you know, he did accumulate some injuries through his career, but you don't pick up 90 caps if, you know, you're, you're constantly crocked. So I, he was I, probably the first name on the true. sheet, wasn't he, when he was fit? And it wasn't oh, his fault he wasn't fit, was it, really? Yeah. People always used to kind of hold up Robson, all the jokes about Robson, it was his fault that his kind of shoulder mm. popped out, you know? It's, yeah. it's a really well, actually, thing. Naylor made quite a good point on a pod before that maybe Robson was to blame in the sense that he was so ludicrously courageous that maybe he went to places that other players wouldn't and therefore picked up injuries that other players wouldn't. I don't know. Um, but no, I mean, it's not his fault. And, but I think you're right. The only sense in which it was a disappointment is that he missed big tournaments or chunks of big tournaments through injury. I'm uh, sure he'll he have was, some regrets about that, won't he? Yeah, he was a magnificent player. He was easily England's best player for most of the 80s. And of course, he looms in our Oldham story a bit as well later on. Um, I don't think... Jumping to Chris Waddle, I... We were talking about this before we came on, and I, we didn't think Chris Waddle's international career was a disappointment. I think, again, there are elements of frustration because partly because he didn't play for England when he was playing the best football of his career at Marseille, partly because there was that period between about 86 and 90 when he and Barnes could be really frustrating. But I think the fact he played so well in Italy, in Italian 90, um, a kind of, and I know you shouldn't necessarily judge players by major tournaments as you said with Robson, but I think that puts him certainly puts enough credit in the bank to say his international career was kind of a qualified success. I would yeah, say. Yeah, I think that when he was selected, he was never 
never overly a disappointment. I think there's the thing about everyone remembers when he was doing well at Wednesday, wasn't selected he, for Taylor. I think that kind of colours it now. Is it, it was it disappointing because yes. he wasn't selected when he was arguably playing his best football? He also gave Maldini an astonishing chasing at Wembley in November '89. I think it was just like a, probably the biggest chasing Maldini ever got. I think around that time there was a lot of frustration with Barnes and Waddle and how can you fit them in? And everyone wanted England to play a sweeper system rather than four four two. And if you read, read all read all played out the great Pete Davis book, there are so many bits in that where Waddle and Barnes are just talking about their frustrations of the limitations of the system. So in that sense, I think they were disappointed. Barnes probably more so. Um, but no, I think Waddle was a success. Well, when we say limitations of the system, the fact they had to just kind of run up and down the touchline effectively. Yeah, it's difficult. Doing... It's difficult because when I was twelve and thirteen, I, I didn't have that keen a tactical brain. No, I must be honest. So, but no, I mean, basically it was 4-4-2. I mean, Barnes played 4-4-2 with Liverpool as well, but it sounds like he got a lot more freedom to come inside and so on, um, whereas England played in straight lines. That's what people say. I mean, I, there, I don't know. There's a whole longer discussion about England not being able to do anything with what, anything correct with what they have, isn't there? Mm. Which, which plays this into, which we haven't got time to go into now. Mm. Barnes, I suppose it's difficult with Barnes because it's the relative measure, isn't it? Did, did Barnes have a terrible... Did he play terribly for England? I don't think so. Did he play no. as well for England as he did for Liverpool? Oh, quite clearly not. Precisely. But I think that's not necessarily his fault either. I think partly it's the environment. You know, He felt such a kind of sense of belonging at Liverpool. He clearly didn't with England. He was booed at times. Yeah. You know, Even when he scored that amazing goal in American Art, there were people numbskulls on the plane home saying England won 1-0 because they didn't count his goal. Good um, God. So I think, I mean, we, we could never know, but I'm sure that racism kind of covert and over had an impact on his performance at some level. Hoddle then. Um, again, I think the lack of, we covered this before, I think you covered this before, Mike, the, the, the lack of, Hoddle's lack of chances is overstated. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's a complete myth. I mean, he'd got 53 caps, I think it was. He, he started for England at the 86 World Cup. And the 88 European Championship. And I think he was like 29 and 31 in those tournaments. You know, the 88 one was when he was playing at Monaco. Um, so it, it wasn't through, you know, lack of opportunity. There's a really interesting interview with Bobby Robson I saw once, actually, when he talks about why he let Hoddle uh, go after the 88 European Championship, basically. And he just said he had all the talent in the world, but you could just forget about him in terms of, you know, getting the ball back or working for the team. Well, there's that. It's, sorry, uh, it's... It, it's quite interesting, I think, that so straight after the 88 European Championship, the first game after it is when Paul Gascoigne makes his debut for England. Uh, yeah. So there is an argument to say that the, the emergence of Gascoigne ended Hoddle's career. And then, of course, 10 years later, you have, you know, Hoddle ends Gascoigne <laughs> in, in the manga. I'm not saying that was deliberate or, you know... Soundtrack by it, but... Kenny G. Yes. <laughs> There's an episode. If you want to know more about that, you can have a look at the Glenn Hoddle England manager episode from the first series. Sorry, Rob, you going to say something then? Oh, I was just going to say this, that uh, when you said about him not tracking back and so on, it made me think of the hand of God and Barry Davis, the line, Maradona just walked away from Hoddle there in the build-up to it, and he does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, I'd be interested to know, actually, so that uh, if that midfield, or, you know, how many times that midfield did actually play together for England? Yes, and, and have we done our research? We'd be able to see. Yeah, but we let you just pull right. this together. Yeah, because it was always like Webb played a bit, Wilkins played a bit, Robson would have been injured, and so on. Travis Stevens. Yeah, he was a now he's an underrated player. I really liked yeah. it. I think if you look at the 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 first part of the question that Guy sent in, you know, why didn't it become the greatest international midfield of the eighties? I suppose we've just covered some of it. Didn't play that. Didn't play together as much as perhaps we think. Uh, 
injuries. I suppose, to, to change the question slightly, if Robson, Hoddle, Barnes and Waddle played at their best club form together for England, would they have been one of the best international midfielders, midfields of the 80s? Oh, yeah, easily. Shout, playing the club. <laughs> oh, yeah, playing with the club form, but that's the whole point. It's like saying, yes. Jared, had Jared Lampard scores and Beckham or whatever, it just often doesn't happen for whatever reason. But I think the only one, I, I think Robson... I think an entire was, episode of Pointless Conjecture is the way I want to go, so... Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think Robson's the only one who came consistently close to his club form for England. Um, mm. Probably. So there you go, Guy. I'm not sure we've answered that. But we had a good go at having a bit of a stab at it. So let us know what you think at Ness and Dorma Pod, Guy, or anybody else, really. Now then, to business. Uh, let's talk about the 1989-1994 Oldham Athletic years. Before we start that, I'll just do a very quick potted history of how Oldham arrived in 1989. Um, Oldham had been pretty promising uh, pre the Great War. Yes, I am going back that far. <laughs> Including losing out on the first division title by a point in 1915 to bloody Everton. Damn you, Gary Naylor. Um, however, after the war, things were never the same. They dropped from the top division in 1923 and then to the third division north in 1935. After the war, we were shite, frankly, and were part of the... F- we, we, interestingly, we, we were a founder member of the Premier League in 92, which we'll talk about later, but as a strange kind of shitty bookend to this, we were part of the first ever fourth division in 1959 as well. So we sort of have a sort of perfect Pi- symmetry. Pioneers. Yeah, exactly, yeah, in every possible way. Um, we nearly left league football entirely in the first season of the fourth division, finishing 23rd and having to apply for re-election to the league, which you had to do back then. What year was that, sorry? Uh, the year, 1960. Oh, crikey, yeah. Um, we had to apply for re-election to the league and we won our re-election at the expense of poor Gateshead. So Gateshead's loss was Oldham Athletic's uh, win. Ken Bates turned up at the club in the early 60s uh, before he did actually leave the club in 1970 when Jimmy Frizzell took over and everything as manager and everything started to get a bit better actually. He oversaw two promotions in five years. So by 1975 we were in what was Division 2 then bringing us back to the second division, and we consolidated that position until a certain Mr. Joel Royal got the job in 1982. We were nearly promoted in 1987, and we lost, and we actually lost in the first ever playoffs in 1987 to Leeds. And then we had a solid mid-table finish in 1988, and it is under Joel Royal, after 1988, that we enter into what became known as, or Joel Royal called, the pinch-me season, mm-hmm. uh, the 1989-90 season. Do you know why he called it that? Do I know why he called it that? Yeah. Yeah, and that you have to pinch yourself that it's not a dream. No, yeah, but some bloke went up to him in a pub, I think the Grey Mayor <laughs> pub in Royston, and said literally, like, can you please pinch me? Because and that's actually that. Oh, right, really, okay, yeah. I didn't that was that. before it really got going as well. That was like uh mid feb I think. So obviously by then it got to the League Cup final, but anyway. I meant to ask, when did the plastic pitch uh come in? Eighty I wanna say eighty five. But it had been there for a while before. A little while, yeah. I could be wrong, though. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I want to say then, but it had been in, yeah. Um, The squad in 89-90, which was kind of the one that most people remember, was the likes of uh, John Hallworth and Andy Rhodes were the two goalkeepers. The defence tended to be Andy Barlow, who actually doesn't get anything like enough notices, Andy Barlow, when everyone reflects back on this. Everyone remembers other players, but Andy Barlow was was quite... 
It's kind of a reverse, just quickly, sorry. About yeah, no, people, it's right, on, yeah. People normally talk about Dennis Earl as the unsung hero, but actually in the Oldham team, he's one of the sung heroes and the opposite fullback, Andy Barlow, kind of takes the Irwin role. People forget him. And I think people forget, and what isn't realised, that Irwin was playing right back a lot for Oldham. That's right, because yeah. Barlow was left back. And of course, he's, when he went to United, Irwin, well, he played... Played his first season at right back, right. then they bought Paul Parker, and after that, he was predominantly left back, although not always. Yeah, so you had... Andy Barlow, um, Dennis Irwin, Earl Barrett, who I'd forgotten, you know, and when you look back, Earl Barrett was 22 mm. around this time, 21, 22 years old, which is, you know, again, you just forget how young he is. And he left. Bar- it was a very young squad, wasn't it? And Barrett and Warhurst must be one of the fastest central defensive partnerships ever. They were absolutely yeah. lightning, the pair of them. And, and Ian Marshall had been signed from Everton as a centre-back, and we'll talk he as we go lightning. through. No, he, <laughs> he, had, he, had, he had other strengths. Did he? <laughs> yeah, but at the end, other virtues. <laughs> yes, um, but I think again because people remember the back end of this season, I think people forget that Marshall was playing centre half at the beginning of this season, yeah. and that's something to, to to reflect on as well. Uh, Willie Donaghy went on; he was quite long in the tooth, and was still trying to be a player. Andy Holden, who was uh, from, he lives about five minutes from me now. Andy Holden uh, was it was a defender. The midfield. The biggest thing that we that had happened to Oldham prior to, to coming into this season was the signing of Neil Adams and Rick Holden, basically. Mm. That's what kind of changed pretty much everything, I think, in terms of the shape we were playing with, and, and we'll talk about that as we go in. But you had Nick Henry, again, was almost released this season, but managed to, as a young midfielder. Mike Milligan, who was the kind of fulcrum of the whole thing. Neil Redfern, who had a fleeting stay, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Paul War, we've mentioned um, Paul Warhurst, who was in defence. And then up front, you had Frankie Bunn. We'll talk about a bit more. Ian Marshall sw- switching in between. The club legend, Roger Palmer. And, of course, Andy Stitch Ritchie, who had started at United, hadn't he? Yes, yes, that's right. A long time ago. Yeah. He, um, so that was the kind of 89 squad that started the season. It had, I said, we'd, Oldham had been building under Royal. It was looking looking quite good. By the end of this season, Oldham had played 65 games. Um, yes. Which is, and I think when you look back, you've, it was the time of so many replays. Yeah. Of course, including three replays, well, three games to get past Everton in the FA yeah, so Cup. Seven of the players played 60 games or more. And I had a look into this actually. So the last two months of the season, they played 22 games in 65 days. The last month of the season, they played 12 in 29. 12 games in 29 days. I mean, that's a joke. Um, and this is in the days of like a 14, 15-man squad. Yeah, um, Mike Milligan was in, was interviewed about it and he said it just felt like we were playing every other day. It's like, that's because yeah, you were. They pretty much were, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, to, uh, just to bring in a barometer of comparison for that, um, in the 2008-09 season, Manchester United, they played 66 of a possible 67 games. Yeah, in seven competitions. I mean, is that, and because they lost the FA Cup semi-final on penalties, you know, they uh, won yeah. that. They would have played the full lot. But to do that across that many competitions in that many games, they had a squad of, you know, twenty-five internationals. They had Berbatov, Rooney, Ronaldo, and Tevez up front. They could rotate. Only Vidic, I think, started over fifty games. And the so, I mean, it staggered more reasonably as well, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Everyone knows now, obviously, you know, squad rotation, it, it's commonplace, but it just it shows you the difference in 20 years of, you know, what yeah. it took to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with such a small squad, it's, you know, it's so impressive to do that. There's a comparison with Forrest, actually. I think Forrest in the first European Cup season, I think they played 
60 something games. Yeah, they won the League Cup as well, didn't they? I yeah, think and I think they yeah, yeah. and they they played a ridiculous number of games as well. I mentioned Ian Marshall before and the fact that he was everyone remembers Ian Marshall because of that ridiculous running style with his arms by his sides and the and the floppy perm behind him and stuff. Mm. Again, we we did an episode where we, when he was at Leicester and came on and terrified Frank LeBeuf. I think he is 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 he underrated, Ian Marshall? I don't know. I just think he's more awkward and effective than people think he was. Yeah, he, I agree. He failed just, the eye test, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? Horrible to play against, you imagine. Yeah. There's, a, there's a great quote, actually, in Rick Holden's um, autobiography talking about playing on the plastic pitch in like like vicious wind you would get older. But he said, I remember the look of horror on Tony Adams' face when after five minutes of Arsenal possession, we won the ball and crashed it straight over his head for a race against Ian Marshall. What was going through his mind as he ran towards his own goal with an ogre, an ogre bearing down on him with skinny plastic? <laughs> and that kind of sub Marshall must have been a. I mean, actually, and you're right, he could finish. I mean, he scored some decent goals, and he was, but he must have been a nightmare to play against, particularly, particularly at Boundary Park. Here's an interesting one to get your opinion. Ian Marshall and Joe Royal this season famously fell out about where he should be playing because Ian Marshall <laughs> really? desperately wanted to play up front. Um, and Royal was saying no, and we used him sparingly, but said you're a centre-half. And Joe Royal said to Ian Marshall, if you stay in defence, I think that you will play for England. <laughs> <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> it's going to be a short discussion, isn't it? Probably not. <laughs> it's a brilliant lie if he, was, uh, <laughs> if he knew what he was doing. Motivation. Um. There's a lot. You mentioned the plastic pitch there and the slippy pitch. There's a lot made about that actually in in Remembrance One because I think it's such a foreign thing to imagine plastic pitches now, unless you play rugby where they're becoming quite the norm. Well, the 4G pitches it is now. Um, I would just say on that. I mean, I think we we did a little bit on this when we talked about Luton, didn't we? Mm. That um, it's it's not you know a 3G or anything. It's you know it's a hockey pitch, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it's not. Yeah. Um, just in case there is anyone listening that's under 30. Um, <laughs> You know, I know there are only four in the country. But I think there were QPR, QPR Preston, Oldham, and, and Luton. Luton, Kenworth Road. So, but it's um, yeah. Did you did you consider it an advantage as a as a support of Oldham? Or I yes. I mean, you yeah. can't deny that it was that whole point about if you're playing on it every other week and or access to it. Well, just think about anything that you do. You know, there is a slight difference in the bounce. There is a slight difference in how you control. There is a slight difference in how your feet grip the ground and how you can turn. And if you're somebody like Andy Ritchie or Rick Holden, who, who, who's quite, a, you know, uses their balance a lot against the defender, then you, I, I think it's unimaginable not to think it was an advantage. What I didn't like as a supporter, when I look back and you still get it now, is the idea that somehow it made them lesser footballers because mm. they were good on plastic. Mm. That's, that's what really gets them, because that is, I, I think, patently untrue. They were never yeah. going to be European, you know, players of the year, but I mean, Andy Ritchie was an outstanding footballer. Yeah, he was. You know, he, he mm. never wasted a pass, Andy Ritchie, and even and that that applied away from home as well. Well, it's worth pointing out they drew at Southampton, they drew at Everton, they outplayed Man United in both semi-finals, even though they lost in the FA Cup. So that did never were two of the best teams in England at the time. So it was clearly an advantage, but I think it was slightly overplayed. Um, the, extent the weather's of that always advantage. overplayed as well. You know, the fact that the grounds at 1100 feet and it wind, yeah. it's rainy and windy as if like rain and wind doesn't exist <laughs> in other yeah. parts of the British Isles. Yeah, all right, it's maybe a little bit colder, but is it colder than going to Roker Park? I don't think so. You know, yeah, it's, it's not the it's not the Azteca, is it? Where it's you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's not the Qatar World Cup, you know, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah so that that kind of you know because i've already mentioned richie you know holden you know those booming crosses he used to hit were just amazing he could use both feet as well rick holden on the quiet that's another thing that people don't tend to remember um and mike milligan was again very young now then i thought he'd be a star milligan i thought he was the best player in that team I was really surprised when he didn't make it. Well, it didn't make it, you know what I mean, though. Mm. Went to Everton, had one year, and came back. Ended up I thought in Norwich, it. yeah, in 95. But... So he just had everything. Yeah, and he was he was young then, and he was and he was a complete midfielder in that sort of late 80s sense. Yes, and also a leader at the age of like 22, 23. He was captain, wasn't he? He was because Andy, Holden, Andy Holden got injured. He was a club captain, the defender, the Welsh defender, North Wales defender. He would have um, been the captain, but really struggled with injuries this season. So in the end, Spike, as he was known as, stepped in. <laughs> and um, imaginative footballers, aren't they? And, um, <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and took over. But there was something about the way, the relentlessly attacking way that we played. Yes. And... And it it's and it wasn't it wasn't route one, it wasn't long ball, it was just very no, quick and very direct. It was direct in the best sense of the word, I think. And also actually not just with the ball, without as well. They pressed teams really high up, they would win it. Like all this Gagan pressing nonsense. I mean it, that's essentially what Oldham did. But you're right, I think I I've always thought of them as my favourite kind of giant killing team or favourite favourite other team among mm. English club sides. And I think the reason for that is partly the scale of the giant killing. Like in 1890, they put out four of the top seven in the league. So Villa, who were going for the league, battered them. Everton, Arsenal, the champions, and Southampton. But normally, giant killers, they kind of struggle. You know, it's often like hanging on nervously for the oh. final whistle. Old and battered teams absolutely battered them. Um, yeah, if you watch that Villa game three, again now, that Villa, Villa game, three, we absolutely yeah. hammered them. <laughs> there yeah. was just no no two ways around it, yeah. Yeah, and like this incredible, almost crazily attacking style. In some games, he did literally... Play once one centre back. It was against like, West Ham, yeah. Yeah, but also against he played one against Everton when you beat Everton. <laughs> he played Oh Barrett's the only centre back. I just I did I checked it this evening actually, and Tony Garbo was doing the commentary and he said Oldham were playing just matter of factly, Oldham have gone back to their three two five formation. <laughs> <laughs> it's nineteen ninety. Can you imagine the number of books have been written about that now? If Pep Guardiola tried a three two five formation. I know, yeah, exactly. Um, and but also that it felt like, and I was fourteen, you know, and it was all quite exotic—the plastic pitch and everything. I didn't know what Oldham was. To me, that was exotic. But they had—they seemed to have so much charisma as well. So have you been switched. to Oldham since? No, <laughs> I, don't want to ruin it. I don't want to tarnish the, uh, the image. But they had so much charisma in the way they played, you know, so much kind of dynamism, and um, I just thought they were incredibly exciting. And, and yeah. to do that. Second division, that's the thing, second division team, and they're mullering pretty much everyone, all the top teams in England, bar Liverpool and um, Spurs or whoever else. Yeah, so you're battering them. It was the fearlessness of it all, really, and it must have been, it, I'd be interesting to know what it was. When you read the kind of accounts of the, the time, and everyone, it's not just the fact they were winning, everyone's just saying that we just had a brilliant time. That point yeah. about there being, a, a, you know, a, a game every other day and looking back it must have been knackering but loads of them are saying we just did we just wanted to play all the time i mean they did run out of steam didn't they? massively yeah but that's, that's the thing you don't think you're yeah. getting tired do you no. but they're saying i didn't feel like i was getting tired and it's amazing i suppose that's the other great regret about things like this is that a lot of them in the interviews when you read about stuff now say i just don't remember a lot of it yeah it was yeah. just a total blur that's, that's probably because that's probably because of the booze in between <laughs> that's <laughs> true they had some Mighty sessions by the sounds of it. Yeah, well, Joe Royal basically, well, that Arsenal Tuesday club certainly a couple of Oldham players said we had that going well before they did because Wednesday was it Wednesday was a day off 
And Joe Royal <laughs> gave them the blessing just to go and get absolutely bladdered, basically. It's probably worth running through what they did in the 1890 season. So they second tier in what is now the championship. They reached a League Cup final. Yeah. On the way, they uh, put up, stuffed Arsenal 3-1. And Arsenal's goal was like a late consolation. Arsenal were the league champions at the time. Then they put out Southampton, who were an excellent side. Drew Toole at the Dell. Southampton had Letitia Shearer, Rob Wallace, beat them at home. Um, West Ham were a second division team, but they had good players like Brady and Devonshire. Beat them six 0 in the first leg uh, of the semi final. Lost three 0 Lost three 0 in the second game. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And then lost one 0 to Forest in the final. But then in the FA Cup, they beat Thrash Villa, who were I think top of the league at the time and certainly were challenging. Beat Everton, as you say, after two re- uh, second replay, um, and then probably deserved to beat United, Man United in both games, both semi finals. Before losing to that late Mark Robbins yeah, goal, yeah, I and mean, I've got a tin- I've got tinted views on this, but well, Nick Henry had a ghost goal, didn't he, in the replay? Yeah, off the, off the, off the yeah, hit the crossbar, one of them ones. But actually, I quite like after the game, Joe Royal basically didn't moan at all. He said, "No, look, you can't expect an official to see that." I mean, to have that kind of grace after a defeat like that is pretty. And that's one of the nicest. I think that's why people like the team because they went about football in a way that most people want their teams to go about. I think certainly as a fan, it was how I wanted my team to play. And Joe Royal had that kind of, a bit like Newcastle 10 years later, you know, had that, like Keegan, that fundamental decent man thing. Fun, and also fun, so fundamental. But yeah, it just looked like fun, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. it did. Really. The other thing is the spirit was incredible. They, I, I counted this. They scored 10 equalizers. Yeah, in the I was, was going to make that point. They just, Which is we just never gave in. 10 We just would not have it at all. We just, yeah. we, we just refused to have it. So, well, I would in... say, Go on, Mike, so I would say actually. I mean, it wasn't the players he was working with. I mean, it wasn't a team of complete chances. There's a really nice bit on. Uh, have you seen that Wimbledon documentary, the BT Sport one? Yes, about yes. how they win. Yeah, 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 yeah. FA Cup finals. A really nice bit at the end where Dennis Wise said that cup run and the kind of national attention of winning it. It brought the people's attention. You know how good he was, how good John Scales was, yeah. how good Harry Field was. Hell. And if you look at what some of the players in this team went on to do after, so Dennis Irwin, I think he, him and Keane jointly are the Irish players with the most total collection of uh, medals. You know, Ian Marshall went on a great career, won League Cups. Paul Warhurst went to Blackburn, won the league title. Earl Barrett went to Ryan Atkinson's, you know, really good Villa side of the mm. early to mid-90s, played for England as well. I mean, I think this particular run, all right, it, it didn't, end with Oldham winning anything but it, the, the career boost it gave to a lot of the players was uh, you know it just opened people's eyes to how good they were yeah it's a good point and actually because the whole squad cost less than a million pounds to assemble so he actually, he got actually when he got somebody he didn't seem to know what to do with it properly that's another thing we'll come on yeah, to later yeah. he got them all from he kind of raided the big clubs didn't he Everton, Leeds, Man City were in particular there was a particular triangle between Oldham, yeah. City and, and Everton yeah, he obviously had lots of contacts. Understandably, you can probably imagine back at those clubs having played for them, Joe Royal. That yeah. he knew he could kind of get hold of and had an inside track on them because the number of players that came and that gets even more prolific as you as you move into the sort of early nineties as well. To put that in perspective a bit, then you know the whole teams put together for less than a million pounds, and they sold Bill Barrett, I think, for one point eight million, something like that. So, you know, you've made all the money back and more. And Ian Olney, still the record signing. Mm. But um, yeah, and remind me again, just so I can get upset again, how much was paid for Dennis Irwin? 600,000, I think. 625, something like that. To be be fair though, that was probably, was that the going rate for a decent 
at the time second division fullback? It probably was actually. It was, but it was quite. It was cheap, obviously, given what he became. But like, for example, a year later they paid I think one point eight for Paul Parker. Now Paul Parker was established, but and he had sure a good World Cup, player. hadn't he? Yeah, but not sure he's a better player though. So it was a it was a fair price, but also a bargain if that makes sense. Ferguson apparently um, always says to Joe Royal when he sees him about it, and he said, well, I've, I've stolen from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got one of United's greatest ever players. And it's, it's actually it's amazing at the end of this season that uh, Dennis Irwin didn't go to Italia 90. He didn't actually get capped for the Republic of Ireland until, I think, September 1990, when he was nearly 25. That's wasn't a it? really good point. And I was he wasn't a patch similar. on David O'Leary, was he? I was thinking something similar about Ian Wright, given what he did towards the end of that season. Now I know he had the broken leg, but you think, why could he have? Could he not have gone to Italia ninety? But well, they yeah, had, um, yeah, I think now Chris Hewton and Chris Morris. I mean, they did have hmm. good options for Republic of Ireland, hmm. but you you think how can Irwin be that well kept a secret? You know, that... yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Is it? He was. I mean, you know, this is not a podcast about Dennis Irwin's future career, but hmm. it's worth reflecting on because I think actually when when he went which is at the end of this season, that we felt that so badly because he was replaced mm. with Gunnar Haller, basically, the Norwegian. He was all right, wasn't he? He was all right. And, uh, nothing wrong with him. And Chris Makin came through the young fullback and he was all right, both solid. Chris Makin was promising at that point. He, he wasn't really in until 92. But, but I mean, realistically, they were like 40, 50% of the player Dennis Irwin was. Yeah, I know. because where do you find a... that again? You're not gonna. We haven't got the. No. We didn't have the money to buy it. So yeah, where the hell do you find it again? Urban was like almost a perfect fullback, really. Um, I wanted to ask you what your memories are of the Forest game, the the Littlewoods Cup final, because I don't remember that so well. I, I vaguely remember one like half chance. It'd been quite a quiet game. Yeah, Steve Sutton made a really decent save from it from a sort of a screamer at one point. Generally speaking, my memories of it were just. I genuinely believe we could win it. Mm. And I think what the most disappointing thing for me was that we didn't score a goal. I never yeah, saw that, that coming. Andy yeah, Ritchie had scored in every single round up to that point. And I thought something was... And realistically, I mean, I've looked at it again since, obviously, but we never really looked like scoring. Do you think, from a couple of pot, pot shots into, into the box. And I think Des Walker got man of the match that day, but... It's credit think, to Forest, really. They just they they, they seem to. I think they're one of the few teams that kind of figured us out a bit, really. Was there any sense I, of it being too big? Sorry, I know it's a cliche, but any sense of the, that occasion? I know that been... Andy Barlow has said afterwards. Andy Barlow said that when you're when you're from a, a club like Oldham, you should be given about the week before to go and acclimatise yourself with Wembley. <laughs> yeah. Because basically, you know, he said because you turn up and you just you know it probably you you are overawed by it. And and over, and also, Mike Milligan had new boots. Really? Yeah, he had new boots. This is what he says. I had new. This just shows you how the times are different. He had new boots two days before, and he had the and he couldn't really move very well in the second half because he had blisters. Oh my god, that's incredible! Isn't that and that, that, that just because right, so- he obviously hadn't put enough dubbing on him or something beforehand <laughs> to soften him, soften him. He hadn't soaked him in the sink long enough, you know. I would just uh, say about that final actually that you know the League Cup final now is played at the end of February. That League Cup final was played at the end of April, so mm. I think it was it was on April it's the twenty eighth. Yeah. So it was game number sixty one, I think it would have been. Yeah, and like we that. played so, United in the FA Cup on the eighth of April, and then the replay. Yeah, yeah and lost. And it. it did it did look like a bit of a reggae before, and you know the whole world well, of Wembley, the sapping pitch, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how much of that is true. It's just you know the nurse of the occasion, I think. 
But, you know, there's 61 games into the season by that point. I and they had the another... On, so I was going to say they had another four to go. I mean, I think they played in the first week in May. They played four games in seven yes. days. Which, is Which again is mirrored when you get into the later Premier League seasons as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, and Rick Holden says now that he's the only one when he looks back, he says he enjoys it, but he, he sees that the season is ultimately disappointing because we we didn't win anything. Yeah, I don't agree with that. The fact that No, I don't agree with that either, about- but... In fact, we do. The fact that people like us remember them, I'm mean, obviously you yeah. would, but 30 years <laughs> later tells you everything. You know, even Alex Ferguson, Alex Ferguson, who won his first trophy with United that season, said that the team of the season were Oldham. <laughs> he, he actually said, "This is great. This is um, Fergie after the semi-final. We've beaten the best team we played this season, and that includes Liverpool, which is a brilliant example of generosity of spirit <laughs> and of juvenile dig at the same time." <laughs> Let me just be a shit house as well at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. But he said it. He said it, he wrote the foreword to the. There's a book about this season, isn't there? Pinch me not or something. It is, um, yeah. And Ferguson wrote the foreword to it. And he said that Oldham were the team of that season, basically. And I think a lot of people do feel that way. Um, yeah. because they just captured the imagination so much. And if you look at I mean, that come... FA Cup semi versus United, the first one, the three all, mm. I, I mean, again, I'm coloured by this, I know that, but I think you struggle to find a, a more beautiful expression of kind of pure football and joy than that game. Well, the whole day, really. Just everything about it was just glorious. And like even like, like Ian Marshall like shinned a... Sort of yeah, horrible goal with his, with his yards. Yeah, it, it, sweet. It was, yeah, it was one of the it. great days of football. That wasn't it. Yeah, it was. So Palace beat Liverpool four three in the first semi final. Yeah. Paradoxically, I think, just as an aside, I think that day, the FA Cup's greatest day, arguably, was started the process whereby the FA Cup died because that was the first ones that were televised, um, and it kind of showed the power of football on TV, which of course led to other things like the Premier League and so on, which in turn marginalised the FA Cup. But anyway, that's another thing. Yeah, so that was, I suppose that gallops us through 89-90, doesn't it? We ended it, as we've said. We have been, we have been talking four hours, you know. <laughs> we ended it not winning anything, as has already been said. Um, lost in the League Cup final to Forest, a Nigel Jemson goal. That really upsets me as well. The fact we lost to a Nigel Jemson goal unreasonably upsets terrific, me. <laughs> I thought he was a terrific player there. I thought he was going to play for England. but um, again, How many, um, how many goals did Richie get that season? 27, yeah, 28. quite a few. Yeah, yeah. it's also it's, it's worth pointing out there was one extraordinary individual. Oh, God, yeah. oh of course, we've not mentioned that, yeah. Uh, you know, Frankie Bung scoring six goals against Scarborough. Was it the week cup? Was it the third yes. round? Yeah, third round, yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I haven't watched them for years. I've just, I watched them just before um, we started recording this tonight. Five of those goals are in the first half as well. <laughs> Oh, no, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's—I mean, to be honest, I mean, Scarborough were all over the shop, but you still can't take away the fact you had to it's, put them away. Andy Richie scored a thumper in that game as well. Just, we should There's, talk just very quickly as an aside. There were some brilliant goals in that run. Holden, yeah. I remember scoring from twenty yards against Villa. Richie scored two lovely goals against Arsenal, really high-class goals. Um, Nick Henry scored a couple of long-range belters, or I think at least one against Arsenal. Neil Adams might have got one. Some real quality goals he scored. And he was nearly released at the beginning of this season, Nick Henry, I think I've briefly mentioned before. Mm. And it was, again, this is what you don't get anymore. It was only the fact that he had a, he, he got started due to availability issues of others in the same odd cup <laughs> versus Middlesbrough, which meant that he actually then got to get effectively get a contract and stay sliding Frankie. doors and all that. Yeah. Frankie Bunn's six goals, actually. That's still a League Cup record. Mm. 
And in the next round, when they play Arsenal, before the game kicks off, uh, Whittlewoods, they gave him a, a cheque for a grand and a crystal decanter, <laughs> you know, drinks uh, set. Not um, more 80s, yeah. Yeah, and, and not long after this, Frankie Bernard had to retire because of injury. But um, There's a nice quote from Paul Scholes, actually, when he was being interviewed before the England-Argentina game at the 2002 World Cup. So it was Scholes' turn on the media day, and they're all kind of all the world's journalists were grilling him about, you know, who is your favourite player of all time? And he yeah, said, Frank this, Bunn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he was actually in, he was in the older men, wasn't he, for the two semis against United? He was. Yeah. Oh, actually, just one other little detail that I quite like is that the West Ham game when they beat them six nil, one supporter gave birth to twins during the game at the ground. <laughs> God, the ground was yeah packed. Like a heaving mass as well, so it would have been a quite a thing to see. So that led us to the end of that nineteen ninety. We didn't get promoted. We lost to United in the semi-finals, um, and we ended up not winning the the League Cup. But as you said, it's 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 a season that I certainly won't forget. But other, like you said, rather big thing is that other football people interested in football don't forget either. Uh, in between the cup runs, then if you kind of move forward to, we did get promoted the year after. Uh, we talked about this, actually, um, on another pod. I can't remember which one, but it's worth remind, reminding again. It was quite tight towards the end between us and West Ham, who was going to go up. Um, Dennis Irwin had gone. We ended up going up in the last game of the season with Neil Redfern's penalty. If you fancy... You'd, well, you'd already got that penalty until then. Wasn't that about winning the league rather than going up? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah it was. It was Thank about... You. Yeah, we all get promoted. It was... Yeah, that final penalty was actually winning the league. A lot of people ask you, does it matter? And I think if you watch the video on YouTube, you'll know yeah. it hugely does matter. Um, yeah. And there's some magnificent tracksuits and jeans come legging it onto the field after Neil Redfern bangs that goal in. But um, it's worth, so West Ham were presented with a trophy, weren't they? So the story goes, I want to mention this last time, a West Ham fan actually did get in touch with me. So oh, I was really? at the West Ham so, game and that's a little bit overstated. Ah, okay. But yeah, there was certainly a, a belief that it was going to happen. Because yeah. Oldham were 2-0 down and then 1-3-2, obviously, Redfern's back. What I didn't realise is Redfern actually didn't care. He basically had asked for a transfer two days earlier and he only wanted to score, just basically stick two fingers up to Joe Royal. And he left, he never played for the club again. He said he didn't really care about Oldham winning the league. Which is no, yeah, he's a stra- yes, he's a strange old character. And, he is, and we've done him as a journeyman of the week, hasn't we? He is like an uber mm. journeyman. I see you can see how much winning meant. And then, of course, we went up to the first division, finished 17th that next season, and they ended up becoming founder members of the Premier League. And who can forget the alive and kicking promo with Andy Ritchie Andy running Ritchie. On, a, on a treadmill, oh, God, <laughs> all yeah. sweating. Just um, one, one quick thing on 91-92, your first season in the top flight. I had a look, and um, that was kind of the best season ticket in the league. In 21 home games, there were 82 goals at both ends. <laughs> that, that's one thing I loved about this Oldham team. They were so attacking. Yeah, we didn't give they, a fuck. They couldn't basically. defend for life, their life, but... So in 1992, they scored the same number of goals as Man United, who finished second. I think it was 60-odd. Oldham finished 17th. The next year, when Oldham finished 19th and avoided relegation because there were 22 teams, they only scored, I think, three or four fewer than United, who won the league with Cantona and so on. So they just basically, they were so relentlessly attacking, particularly at home. You get all these crazy scores, wouldn't you? Like 5-2, 6-2, 6-3 defeat, 5-2 defeat. And um, yeah. yeah, it was great fun. And they beat the champions at home in both... 91, 92 and 92, 93. So Leeds in the first season and Man United in the second. So they did have their moments. Yeah, 92, 93, we beat Villa as well, of course, which was helpful to United. But but yeah, also more importantly, helpful to Oldham. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that was, so 
up we went. I mean, the funny thing about Richie on the treadmill is that obviously he was the most probably, was he probably the most well-known player? Probably. But he was also the worst person to choose because he looked so little like a professional athlete. (laughs) You know, because he's got a sort of Wayne Rooney vibe going on, hasn't he? That kind of slightly spud head and and bald. So him running on a treadmill, I don't think it would get past any PR people now if they said, this is the player we're we're offering you, there, not a chance. What were the alternatives? Rick Holden, Ian Marshall? Yeah, because Earl Barrett had gone by then, unfortunately. He'd have been the obvious one. Paul Warhurst had gone. He'd look great. And Earl Barrett would have looked great. But yeah, he's there. Yeah, so that was that. And that's a good point, actually. We lost Earl Barrett as we came up. Uh, Dennis Earl had already gone. Milligan went to Everton and then came back. Um, we had Gunnar Haller and Chris Makin, as I mentioned. Ultimately, if we go into 93-94, Ian Marshall was replaced as well. He went and, and again, replaced with Ian Olney. He was a record signing, but was only played 10 games in 93-94. He played 34 games in 92-93 but, and scored 12 goals, which where we were wasn't that bad, really. But we must have had goals from everywhere because we always did score. Um, and Darren Beckford, who wasn't that good. Um, so the first season of the Premier League was strange. The, the starting lineup had changed, really, by then. Hallworth was still there in goal. Gunnar Haller, I've already mentioned. We, we, we pulled in Richard Jobs, Jobson and Craig Fleming, as a centre-back pairing, who actually were okay, Richard Jobson and Craig Fleming. I think they both got England B caps. No, sorry. Fleming was a good player. Fleming was Scottish, but um, <laughs> Jobson got um, some England B caps. Fleming was quietly okay. Andy Barlow was still there. Neil Adams was still there. He hadn't gone to Norwich yet. Milligan had come back by 93. Andy Ritchie was still lurking about. Um, Nick Henry was still around. I think, Adam, I think yeah, Graham Sharp had signed... Paul Bernard had come in, young Scottish midfielder. He was playing sort of right centre, depending. Rick Holden was still there. And then he had sort Holden, of... Go on. Holden had gone to City, hadn't he? In the and first he season. And, and he came oh, back. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, you had Sharp then, who retired from Everton, who was... Well, what was he then? 32, something like that. Um, and then he had... choose between, In the first season of the Premier League, it was basically Sharp plus Beckford plus Marshall plus Olney, depending on who was available. Mostly Olney. Um mm. I think it's probably worth saying as well that uh, all right, the team had changed a bit, but the pitch had changed as well, wouldn't it? It was True. 92, I think. Was it 92 you stopped using it? Yes. Did everybody so have to stop first... using them then? Was that the, did the rule change come in then? I think, well, maybe with the, you know, all singing, all dancing Premier League, maybe that was a stipulation of, uh, of doing it. But by the end of that season, the Boundary Park, uh, Boundary Park pitch was absolutely shocking. Yeah, it was horrendous. It was, it was even more... Yeah, it was completely bald, pretty much, and... So in that first season again, it was it was a struggle. Rob mentioned already that we stayed up because we managed to stay up just about on goal difference. Well, so you had three games in a week, didn't you? And Palace with nine points clear of you, is that right? Correct. We had, we, had, we basically Palace played on the Saturday, and you obviously went to Villa on the Sunday, and then yeah, we had to play three games in the last six seven days. Mm. Basically, against, well. against Villa, 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 Liverpool, and then Southampton. We beat yeah. Villa. Uh, we beat Liverpool three-two in a sort of, and Ian only scored twice in that game actually, which is, and again, a perfect sort of Liverpool moment really. Um, David James has an absolute. He has an absolutely <laughs> horrendous, awful shocker. Yeah, he just Shocked keeps dropping. Him, he basically just keeps dropping the ball, and then yeah. as Scott Murray's pointed out, sitting there with that stupid smile on his face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
And Aston Villa, Nick Henry scored against Aston Villa after probably the worst piece of control you will ever see from a professional yeah. footballer by Darren Beckford as the ball <laughs> comes across glorious. his body. He goes to take yeah. it on top of his on top of his I think his left foot, but it just basically just skids straight yeah. over his foot. And thankfully that, that might have kept you up because if he controls it properly, obviously his second touch goes out of the ground. So then it, you potentially don't win at Villa and so on. So Yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Again, sliding doors well was and then we had that completely batshit game against Southampton at the end, 4-3, which I was at. You were 4-1 up when you and Letitia got a hat-trick. Right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. And Palace were getting beaten at Arsenal. Um... Yeah, well, basically Palace losing. At Ar- I think they did lose at Arsenal, didn't they? Was yeah, was, was what basically yeah. kept us up that season. And Neil, uh, Neil Poynton scores direct from a corner in that game, I think. <laughs> it's just it's one of those kind of last-day scenarios where... You know, you have all these kind of freakish things happening. That yeah, and Joe Royal's famous for going up into the stand and sort of crouching down there. And he does that wonderful shot that when the final whistle goes and we realise we're staying up, he does. He stands up with in that really sort of eighties suit. You know, it's the nineties by then, holding both arms up in the air, that massive smile across his face, which is sort of like a perfect encapsulation of him and the time. Yeah, really. <laughs> There's a great, uh, there's a great piece Rob's written actually, uh, the Joy Six Great Escapes, um, and the, this is in it, and I think it, I think it's from eight points behind, but I knew they won yes, the last three right. games. Palace drew the night they beat Liverpool. That's right. Yeah, and survived, and I think with, because of the goal at Villa Park that starts the whole thing, because that decided the title, it's kind of lost its importance. You yeah, know, agreed. At, at the other end of the, uh, you know. Hmm. You know the other end of the valve kind of thing. You know that it, it it triggered basically one of the. I mean, because you look doomed basically with a week to go. I mean, oh, it's a eight point yeah. behind. Yeah, eight yeah. points in a week. That's the thing. It's not. It's one thing to overcome eight an eight point gap. Stay up. <laughs> yeah. To do it in a week yeah. from the second of May to the eighth of May, basically, yeah. we managed to accumulate nine points, which is not bad going. I forgot to mention Mark Brennan in the uh, squad rundown. By the way, he was a midfielder who came in. Um, so that was us in '93. We managed to cling on by our fingernails there was a feeling at the time that it was just how long can we actually ring this out for i do remember that you start every you start every season with a bit of hope but to be honest it was a and i suppose what went for us in this season which is often overlooked is that we went out of every cup pretty early mm. so yeah, they was... didn't really do much in the cups between 90 and 94 did they? not at all no i mean in this this year we lost basically at the first time of asking in the fa cup to Tranmere. Mm. And then the League Cup, we went out fairly early to Cambridge. So it wasn't, it, it's, we didn't have that enormous, as much as there was a, a, a little bit of a fixture pile up because it was that many games in so many. You weren't having to get cup replays mm. and you weren't having to get all that shit in the way. And you weren't basically completely fucking knackered by the time you got to the stage of the season, which was very different in 1994, uh, where we didn't win a game after April the 2nd in 1994, which is the season we went down. And the fixture pilot was absolutely shocking. There's um, Royal Joe Royal had a quote at the time saying that the players, it was like they were running through treacle by the end. And it did feel a little bit like that. I remember I was in sixth form at this point in school. And I remember all the people in school were Everton or Liverpool or United fans. And I remember being like fuming at the fact that we had to have this massive fixture pilot while we were fighting for our lives, you know. And I, I remember saying to my friends at the time, this just feels like we're being punished for our success, you know. <laughs> in that brilliant sort of 18-year-old way. And we made it never to find us burst out laughing. We go, what fucking success? <laughs> nobody, and, and interestingly, he said, nobody remembers people who gets the semi-finals of Cups. Well, who's <laughs> laughing now, eh? People <laughs> do remember who got this team. But no, I can't hear where he's right. In any other 
It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because if it's any other club, for the likes of you know your club or anybody who supports a big club, it wouldn't be seen as that successful. You know, you've had a decent cup run, that's it. But we were always still harking back to, you know, 60-odd years out of the top flight of, and all that kind of stuff, really. It's, it's probably no coincidence when you talk about the pilot, but also there was that the kind of double blow of um, the first ever Cup semi-final against Man United at Wembley. So they were 1-0 up. Mark Hughes scored a preposterous volley in the last minute of extra time. So not only do you get that crushing blow, you also then get the extra game on top. And it's worth mentioning, because often now you think, well, who would they have in the final? They've had Chelsea, who weren't a great side. So the FA Cup, like, it, it was we'd properly... Beat, we'd beaten Chelsea twice that season, home yeah, and away. So if you, yeah, if you get through, um, if you get through United, and should have done, United was so flat that day, Um it was a you know, horrible game. It, it, was, it, was. Like the, it was like the anti-1990 semi, you know what I mean? It was just... I think Poynton scored then, didn't he, as well? I he did. He well, he scored in the replay as well. He's just... Oh, yeah. And I mean, I knew we were going to get absolutely thumped in that replay and it became... And, it, and as it was, 4-1, yeah. And, uh, Robson scored with his... Robson scored with his knackers. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Giggs hammered a ball from about four yards out straight through the keeper's legs. Hit it that hard. Even if he'd seen it, I don't think it would have... Uh, yeah. It would have changed. Kanchelskis came in for that game, I think. It was quite a few changes for United for that game. Yes. Oh, no, Kanchelskis was a, a, becoming a big player by then. He yeah, had yeah. an absolute stormer in that game. Yeah. But, you, I mean, as well as the extra game. And you were right. Oldham didn't win a game after that, did they? Pretty much, no. From April the 2nd onwards, we just couldn't win. And um, I, I always remember, it was kind of, I always remember thinking this is a, a good summation of the two clubs. When the that, F, that first FA Cup semi was going to be on on, on match of the day, and they always changed the opening credits back then for a montage of the two teams <laughs> yeah. from that season. And I'll never forget that it had United with all this glorious running football. And all we had was was Andy Ritchie's goal against Barnsley in the FA Cup. I remember <laughs> that it was a kind of it was a good shot, it was like a dip in shot. It was like what a classic. And then loads of people sort of looking moody walking round was all they had for for Oldham sort of montage. I remember sitting, I remember my mate laughing, going, Look at this. And it was true that did kind of encapsulate exactly where we were at, even though obviously we very nearly beat you that day. It was, it was kind of difficult. Actually, if you, interestingly, you look at that. If you look at that Oldham Barnsley game, there were some brilliant '90s footballers in that Barnsley team. Redfern was there by then. Andy Rammel was there. Oh, I remember. Owen Archdeacon. Wasn't it United? Oh. Andy Rammel was a kid. Well, United signed Andy Rammel from um, Atherston United in Warwickshire for 40 grand. And with that money, and I'm assuming it's still standing now, if anybody knows out there, please tell me, they built it to build the Andy Rammel stand. No, oh my God. Really? Yeah, a, there, there was then, and whether there still is now, an Andy Rammel stand at Atherston United in Warwickshire. How, how, do, you, how do you know this shit? <laughs> well, you know, this is stuff you look into, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> is it? Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Well, yeah, it's a bit rich me. I was going to say, you're already <laughs> talking, aren't you? Pointless knowledge, yeah. Yeah, yeah so Andy Rammel, Owen Archdeacon. Oh, yeah. Andy Liddell, do you remember him? Striker. Andy. I think he was in the team by the time they got promoted, Barnsley. But uh... Anyway, horrible game, yet another replay, which we were predictably battered in. And I said, the thing is, you know, a bit like the, the Forest game in terms of the regrets, I think we, we should have had a chance in that game in 1990. Again, it was what could have been because... Chelsea worked great. We beat them twice that season. It might have just given... And there is that, we've talked about this before, but there is that kind of goals. I don't think there's ever been... Has there ever been a goal like that huge goal, Hughes goal, which changed the fortunes of two clubs so in such opposite ways, so fundamentally? I'm sure there has, although none comes to mind. But you're right, because United were in danger of properly collapsing. They've been on for a domestic treble. 
Then they'd lost the League Cup final to Villa. Cantona was sent off twice in three days or something. Um, and they were and they become suddenly absolutely loathed by the press. Like it was a real <laughs> proper for the first time the whole ABU thing kicked off. And they would the season was in danger of complete collapse. You so you're right. Um, it had an incredible impact on United and an equally profound impact on Oldham. It's worth dwelling on. I don't know. I don't like dwelling on it, but it's worth dwelling on what a fucking goal that was. By oh, it's Hughes. astonishing. Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Craig Fleming's virtually sat on him. He, exactly. Yeah, he's horizontally. It's like yeah. it's just that. Sh- that and it's coming over Ryan. his head, and every just everything about it is just incredible. To keep that to keep that shot down when you're falling backwards, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, and hit with it, that power and anger. Yeah, and just put it where he puts it as well. I mean, I think Fergie refers to Hughes in his first book as a one-man rescue mission. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, and he he is he's one of the greatest big game players this country's ever seen. And, yeah, I know, would agree. Another example, I think Hughes that was because he went on to score in the FA Cup final as well. United played at Wembley four times that season, and he scored every time. I think was oh, was yeah. this the year that United hammered? Oh, he did. Chelsea. You're right. Well, they did. Yeah, I mean, it was a flattering hammering though because it was two penalties four nil, but they didn't score till the hour. Peacock had hit the bar at nil nil. Um, so it was a slightly unfair scoreline. But was yeah, that the was... one when Cantona scored two penalties? Was that part yeah, of yeah. That final? yes. Yeah. One that of the Peacock penalties is... awarded was shocking as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's right. The second one was outside the area, yeah. One of my greatest yeah. memories of that one is is that whole Glenn Hoddle like a dad stripping off. Yeah, when he yeah. went to oh, Florida yeah. and you yeah. see him ripping the subsuit off going, right, I'm going to come on and sort this out sort <laughs> of thing. Um, it's, um, it's ironic. I mean, you talk about uh, Oldham having beaten Chelsea twice that season. Chelsea had actually beaten United home and away. Uh, one nil each time with a John Spencer goal, I think. Uh, Pe- uh, Peacock both times, and then oh, he Pe- sorry Peacock. He, yeah. he hit the bar at nil nil as well. He uh, did, yeah, 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 yeah. And the sad thing was, is that we the last game we did win was was a hammering of QPR, and it kind of looked like sides. yeah, it was like it was like four one we beat QPR, and it was like oh right, this looks like we can build something from here. Then then we lost to United three two. And then it just kind of then then the, the FA Cup and just just everything just seemed to just get worse and worse because it wasn't just the fact that I think when you're that close to winning a game then it's snatched away from you like that yeah, and then you've got to play another game and then you're going back into the misery of yet another relegation battle it's yeah. uh, it's a lot to recover from I think I remember watching the, I think it was penultimate game might have even been a Thursday night because of the pilot home to Spurs and I think That's you right, needed to yeah. win to keep realistic hopes. And I went one 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 down, and I thought I kind of really expected because obviously you didn't see every game back. And I really expected yeah. like a second half proper fight back and so on. It really, and it just wasn't there. It just gone. We were just, mentally, physically, or both. We were knackered, and the spirit had gone. I think I've often I've made the joke before. I'll make it again. And if you, you know, <laughs> if you slow down the the tape on that final final, you can see the kind of spirit drop out of the shorts when Hughes's yeah. Hughes's goal goes in. There's just nothing left. There's just no. and there's only so often you can keep. At both ends, really, because we spent years at both ends coming back to try and win. Mm. And then the year before, we'd done it. And it's just, you can't just keep going back to the well, you know? <laughs> There's just nothing left in the end. Presumably, over that five-year period, they, they would hardly have spent big money on anyone, would they? I know they bought Olney and Beck from the stuff. but So they were, ba- they were even, you know, relegation wasn't a massive underachievement or anything. I guess it was just... No, I mean, like the players that came in were like Poynton. Ian Snowden came in. Yeah, Neil McDonald, Steve yeah. Redmond. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, no. Basically, I don't remember yeah. the exact figures, but there was just nothing happening at all, really. And then, um, obviously, they went down to Championship, or whatever it was in those days. And then Joe Rowe went to Everton, and I guess that's that's where the story ends. 
Yeah, so what did what did happen next to, to Oldham? Um, Royal went to Everton, as you said, with everyone's blessings, actually. He'd given yeah, us everything that he could, he, could, he could possibly give us, and it was his club, you know, Everton. Yeah. I think Oldham's his club, you know, Everton is his club. Uh, he won the FA Cup in 95. Against I, I just yeah, a quick thought. Was that, oh, sorry, I was going to say you might be... Was there any kind of um, satisfaction in Royal winning the FA Cup against United a year later as an Oldham fan? Yes. Because there's a... Well, you Good. know, there's a, there was a, at that time there was a great deal of satisfaction to any, anybody beating United <laughs> yeah. at anything. From my, I think the other thing is where you've got to remember is is that we we live in. I'm not from Oldham. I support Oldham, but I'm from the other side of Man. What is Greater Manchester? And it's you've got to remember that you're constantly fighting against United. Yeah. For for fans, yeah. and there is something about you know people in Oldham. So I always look out for Latics. It's like, well, fuck off! Don't bother. Do you know what I mean? Either, you know, I get quite grumpy about it, really. It's like uh, people from North Wales who hate England but support United. It's like, well, why don't you support Wrexham? I don't get it. That's just me being a grumpy sod. So um, it's worth um, it's worth making a quick point about Joe Royal and you know exacting that revenge on United. Oh, well, I'm not the revenge anyway. A year later, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's um, only now my mind that you don't give yeah. a shit, do you? But, <laughs> but he, um, you know, he took over an Everton team that almost went down the season before. He took and... over Mike Walker, didn't he? Yes, he did, yeah. And they battered Tottenham in the semi-final 4-1, the Quinsman, you know, Popescu team, uh, you know, and then uh, went on and won the final and then went on and won the Charity Shield as well. And they're the last two trophies Everton have won. Um, so Joe Royal, you know, just underscores what a good manager he actually was. A good side. Again, dogs of war, absolutely miserable to play against. <laughs> but they were a good side. And didn't he leave over some... Because he was vetoed over signing Tori Andre Flo for about two quid or something. something which would have like been a, yeah. Which would have been a great signing. And of course he went to City, his other club, in inverted yeah. commas, and, and when they were really in the shit. Yeah, it did well there for a while. And it sounds like towards the end, from what Keegan says anyway, the kind of drinking culture was out. Well, not out of control. It just hadn't hadn't kind of gone with the times enough. Yeah, um, but I mean, he, he, they were down in... The third tier, and he took over him. City, weren't they? Yeah, I was at that game when he was he, he was managing the Gillingham game. Gillingham. Was it? Yeah, I was at yeah. that game. Yeah, that was the, the brilliant sort of that, that kind of specific type. Not all City fans are that particularly t- particular type of City fan, and maybe they were right. I don't know. At the end of that game, when the the camera were on the pitch and the City fans were, around, I remember one City fan running up to the camera and going, "Ah, oh, we're coming for you, you Munich sort of thing." It's like <laughs> you've literally just been promoted to the second tier of English football. But I suppose you know, twenty years on, um, they did kind of come for the, for you, didn't they? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, and then he went to Ipswich, I think, Joe Royal after that, before sort of really retiring in two thousand and six. He came back to Oldham temporarily in two thousand and nine, and Joe John Sheridan's first sacking. Just, um, I've just remembered something actually around that period when he was at Ipswich. I did some of their games for the paper, and they were actually like I totally forgot this. They were a really nice, kind of pure footballing side, more so than any of his others, as far as I can recall. Um, which is quite interesting. I don't know where that came from, but yeah, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I know we said Oldham weren't long born, I don't, I certainly don't think they were in the first half of his kind of period in charge, but they were still direct, whereas Ipswich were actually quite, um quite almost, uh, I don't know, quite like an orthodox passing team. So I don't know what changed anyway. Yeah, I don't know. So any, yeah. and then after 2009, he, he kind of bim- he's bimbled around doing some kind of random consultancy, weirdly. He t- he helped, and when David Unsworth took over for a one game at Everton, mm, he turned yes. up to help him with that and stuff. So he's always just around. He got offered a permanent job in 2009 after John Sheridan sacking him, we stayed up, but he turned it down. I think he just doesn't want that. 
I forgot to say, after 89-90, the FA wanted to talk to him about the England job, but they were put him on the shortlist even and he apparently turned it down saying no i've never managed in the top flight it's too early blah 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 again mm. that says a lot about the man's humility really yeah it was not like many people who go i'm just not ready for it you know when somebody comes and starts waving that in front of you yeah no, i mean i don't know the man but he always seemed like a genuinely likable bloke there's a brilliant um thing he does at the end of the 95 semi-final with tottenham so going into those semi-finals there was this kind of you know, desire for a Manchester United yeah. Tottenham final because, you know, Quinsman was at Tottenham and, you, you know, United would, had won the double the year before and all this kind of stuff. So they, they stuffed Spurs 4-1. They absolutely battered them on the day. And then uh, I remember listening to the radio and Royal came on and the first thing he said was, oh, you wanted your dream final, you can dream on. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that the famous Amakachi game? Yes. Where he just went yeah, yeah. So but he wasn't meant to go it. on. No, he scored <laughs> twice, yeah. Uh, yeah, so what happened next then? Well, Graham Sharp took over as player manager in 1995. We were tipped for promotion. It didn't happen. In fact, we were closer to relegation in 1995-96. We went down in... I feel like I should play this. We went down in 1997, <laughs> eventually. Uh, Neil Warnock turned up, which is always a bad sign. <laughs> it continued to be shit. Andy Ritchie took over, and it was a little bit better before it then became shit again. We nearly went out of business in 2001-2003, sort of that period. Chris Moore took over, a uh, businessman, vowing to take us back to the Premiership, and for a little while it looked like it could be on the way when we made the playoffs under Ian Dowie, but we've all seen this fucking movie before. And Chris Moore left in 2004, leaving behind debts after flogging half the decent players for next to nothing. After being on the brink of ruin, three businessmen took over. Simon Blitz, John Sheridan came back. We got battered in the playoffs in 2007. We've had revolving managers since then. We obviously then thought, how can we make this even more shit and try to sign Chad Evans in 2015? <laughs> Thankfully, we didn't do that. We were basically hovering around relegation and just avoiding it every year since 2012. And finally, we succumbed to the inevitable this year, finding ourselves in the bottom tier for the first time since 1959. At the time of recording this episode, we've just drawn one all with Lincoln City and find ourselves 13th, one place below our former Premier League pals Swindon and one place above the mighty Crawley Town. <laughs> oh, I'm wrung out now. That hurt, didn't it? Oh. <laughs> I felt your pain there. And on top of that, we've had somebody taken over at, at um, an out of North African football agent, Abdelalanga Salam, and... Um, it's. I don't think I've got. I'm really worried. I think there's Why a. Like, go on, Rob. No, sorry. Go on. Go on. I think there's a combination of the fact that we've we've not really survived. Like for example, we've never managed it very well. James Tarkowski came through at Oldham, mm. who's now at Burnley and getting England caps. But basically, the last owner sold on all his bonus clauses three years ago, so we can't claim anything back of what we thought we would get, and that's just been an endless story, really. I think there's also a wider discussion about can. England actually afford four fully professional leagues that nobody mm. wants to actually have a conversation about, but that's a completely different discussion. I was going to say, don't spread that at us now, please. <laughs> I quite like that you distilled 24 years of misery into a jaunty 60-second segment. But the reality <laughs> is, you've lived through every single defeat of those 24 years. Oh, it's years. just been so bad. It's been so bad. On a, on a serious note, do you think that... On a serious note, do you think... um? 
Oldham are the last great giant killers in English football. Now, I know there have been great giant killers since, but I would argue that from around the late 90s, giant killing was devalued by squad rotation and so on. And, it, and I know there were big giant killings in the mid-90s, but not on that scale. To beat four of the top seven in a season, to smash them, yeah, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure. Tranmere did quite well on their cup runs, didn't they? They in did. The early again, 90s, not, I don't think it was... I'm not sure it's quite on the same scale. And no. to reach a final and a semi in the same season. Yeah, um, it's, the, maybe it's, it's just, the consistent nature in two cup runs, isn't it? And who you beat on the way. Because, I mean, there's been a few people who've... There's a few people who've turned up in in finals that didn't deserve to be there. Did Millwall get to one? Yes, did Chesterfield did, get I mean, to one yeah. randomly? Yeah, but it's... Uh, yeah. I think the nearest kind of modern equivalent might be Burnley getting to the League Cup final. Uh, when was that? Was it 2013? I think they, Brad... they, put out, they put out four... They called it capital punishment, didn't they? They beat four of the London. Um, <laughs> That's beat, they, beat, they beat Tottenham and Arsenal. Who else did they beat? I can't, I'll have to look into the run, but... Um, what are even that's still quite small yeah. scale compared to, you know. I mean, that, that was great. The only thing about that is that they wouldn't have beaten the first 11s, would they? They're still beating strong teams, of course. Still a ridiculous achievement. But in, in the olden period, they were beating the best 11. Every, no one, that no is one true, yeah. There's, I mean, the yeah, League Cup now is just point. a completely you look different at the competition, teams, I mean, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Oldham were beating Letitia Shearer and so on. Uh, Villa, they have beat Platt and... Um, McGrath. All that team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um no, yeah. it's, it's probably true. One of the things I didn't mention, you mentioned London capital punishment, is that how Oldham did, and another thing that made it very endearing to me, is how they reveled in their pure northernness. Oh, they did, yeah. That thing, you know, I think even somebody's on record saying we didn't have any bloody southerners in the team. Yeah, Rick Holden, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. No, miserable southerners. Miserable yeah. southerners, that's it, yeah. Although Rick Holden, by all accounts, was quite miserable. But there you go. Do you, what? Um, sorry, just a yeah, quick yeah, one, do you, do you think Paul Scholes will ever come to manage you one day? Because they're crass in 92. They're very, you know, they're like a cottage industry now, aren't they? They're well, all he applied, like for, he applied for the job manager. when Richie Wellens got it. Uh, it? The, time, the last manager we had, Richie Wellens, who'd been in as a caretaker, he actually made himself available. I was a little bit irritated. Um, mainly, I think there's that whole thing about we are seriously in the shit. And there's, can somebody with so little experience come in and do anything simply because he's Paul Scholes? Or any yeah. player like that, to be honest. I always have a bit of a problem with that. Anyway, having said that, trying with journeyman managers hasn't worked either. So I'm not really, I'm not really sure where we go for that. With Frankie Bunn's in charge now, and he has got quite a solid sort of coaching background. But If and when it does happen, Jose Mourinho will quit his job and become a League Two pundit straight away. <laughs> yeah. Just well, he, he's, he's on record. I said he'd like to have played for us, Paul Scholes. I always thought he yeah. might live up to that and maybe just do a you know half a season at, towards he the end. Probably, but he could probably do it now. He probably, well, in this league against yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he loves the club. He takes his lads down there and stuff. He's he, that's one thing he has stuck with. But and I don't, and I'd, part of me does always say, I wonder if he'll put his hand in his pocket if we're really, really in the shit. But uh, I think he would. I think he's, I don't know about the management. I think he's. After seeing what happened to Neville and what's happening to Giggs, I wonder if he'll think no. But I think financially he probably would if it ever came to I think he is too sensible serious. to maybe take the manager on for two. I mean, I, I don't think Skulls would do something like take over Valencia, would he? No. That's no. what, you know what I mean? That kind <laughs> of, that, I don't just mean because it's in Spain. I just mean that kind of thing. You just go, no, I'm fucking no. doing that. No, I think you're right. If he ever did take a job, it probably be, it would be old and for sentimental reasons. <laughs> There's a, but I don't think you will. On that documentary about the Salford City team, did you see that clip when they ask him when Gary Neville asked him to play to try and drum up some publicity? Yeah. 
<laughs> and he says, he says, will you play? He says, what? When? He says, I'll start the. And he says, but he says, I'm fat as fuck. <laughs> He <laughs> said, "That don't matter. That don't matter. You'll just get some. We'll get some press interest." Uh, and on that note, Paul Scholes is fat as fuck, and we'll uh, finish off this episode on Oldham. I hope you've enjoyed that. I I have up to a point. I've, I'm going to go and watch some YouTube clips now. Cheer myself up again. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks, Wade. Thanks very much, Rob. Thanks everybody for listening. Take care. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.